Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Norton, and today we are going to read what is probably the most famous story in the Bible. I think probably uh, more people know this story than any other story in the Bible, even if you didn't grow up going to church or Sunday school or any of those things. Um, sports commentators mention this story all the time. Uh, journalists use this story for headlines. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, best-selling author, wrote an entire book about this story just a few years ago. And when you think about this guy named David, we started a series on David just last week, this is the story that comes to mind first. Because it's the story that defines who he is. It's the story that is forever uh, connected to him. And even though you know the story and you know how it's going to end, we're going to read through it again today. Um, Because A, uh, there's probably some details in the story that you've never seen before, and I want to point some of those out. But B, um, this story uh, is connected to an issue that I think every single one of us face. It's connected uh, to an emotion and to a circumstance that probably we face in our lives every single day more than anything else. So with all that in mind, let's just jump right in. Uh, Here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war, and they assembled at Sokah in Judah. Saul and the Israelites assembled encamped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Uh, So if you weren't here last week, as I said, we introduced the story of David, and uh, you might go back and listen to that. You can listen to that online. And the context is Saul is the king of Israel. It's about 1000 BC, and uh, the armies of Israel have gathered one more time against the armies of the Philistine. And this happens every few months, every few years, because the Philistines at this time in history are the perennial enemy of the Israelites. The Philistines are the Klingons, right? They're, um, or or they're, uh, they're the orcs of Mordor, or they're the Soviets, um, or they're the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Uh, that's just every year they're always going to battle against um, the Israelites. It's the Israelites and the Philistines. They're the perennial enemy. And by the way, this still goes on. The word Palestine, Palestinian, comes from this ancient group of people. Now, they're gathered in battle in this time, in this valley. And I want to show you a picture of the Valley of Eli. Here's a picture of the actual valley as it looks today. The Israelites are camped on one hill. The Philistines are camped on another hill. And in between, there's this valley. Now, it wouldn't have had a road back then. It wasn't cultivated uh, with crops the way um, it is today back then. It would have been just very dry scrub brush in this valley. And there was a dry creek bed that ran through the valley as well. The story continues. Verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. We'll unpack that in a second. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, that's like shin guards, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. 
So this is a really long description. In fact, it's actually the longest description of any warrior that we have in the entire Old Testament. We find out he's really tall. Um, Six cubits in a span is about nine feet tall. Now that might be an exaggeration. Um, There's another story in the Old Testament that sort of describes Goliath as being about seven feet tall. So we don't know. This This is like when we use the word literally today. Like, I literally died last night. Like, really? Did you? Literally? Um, so we don't know, but it's, it might be an exaggeration, but it, we do know he's really big and he's really tall and people remember that about him. And then it describes his armor and his armor weighs about a hundred pounds um, and bronze was heavy and he's a big guy. So that also tells us he, he's really tall and it describes certain aspects of his armor and then it describes certain weapons he has. Later we find out he also has a sword, but he has this spear and it points out that the tip of the spear is made of iron. And this is actually an important detail because this is a technological advance. Uh, Back then, the Philistines had pioneered this new technology, this new way of getting a fire so hot that they could melt and forge iron, which was brand new. Up until that time, uh, weapons were made of bronze, but iron was so much stronger and better for offensive weapons And this is literally the moment in history when historians and archaeologists say we go from the Bronze Age to the Iron Age. And there's a lot of evidence that the Philistines were one of the ancient groups that pioneered this technology first. And it would be years before the Israelites got it. So he has the best weapons. He's tall. He's intimidating. This really long description is telling us at this point in the story that he is this super warrior. Somebody to be feared. He's intimidating and invincible. The story goes on. Verse 8. Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. goes on. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And for 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So this is a a new approach to battle. The Philistines have this super warrior and he comes out and he taunts and he basically says, hey, instead of hundreds of men dying on the battlefield or maybe thousands of men dying on the battlefield, why don't we just take our best warrior and fight your best warrior and it'll be one-on-one and whoever wins, that's the side that wins and the other side has to retreat and give up the land or the plunder or the towns or whatever it is that they're fighting over. And so Goliath comes out and he's intimidating and every morning and every evening for 40 days straight, he taunts Saul, he taunts the Israelites and it says they tremble in fear. Because basically they know nobody can beat Goliath. We don't have anybody that's as big or as strong or has good weapons or is as talented or as skilled. Nobody, I mean, Saul can't do it. 
Jonathan, he's a good warrior, Saul's son, but he can't do it. Abner, the leader of the armies, he can't. There's nobody who can defeat Goliath. And so they're scared to death for 40 days. Now, before we read on, this is a good point to just pause for a second and recognize that we often respond to challenges in our lives the same exact way. We, we don't face actual enemies in battle like this, but we, we face circumstances and situations all the time that are overwhelming and seemingly insurmountable. Right? Situations where we think, I just don't have what it takes to deal with this anymore. I cannot control the outcome to this situation. I'm not sure I can handle this anymore. I don't even see a way through this or around this or beyond this. And that's an incredibly scary place to be. That's where Saul and the Israelites are. They're sitting there and every day they're reminded, we can't win. Nobody can beat this guy. And they're paralyzed by fear. And then a young boy named David shows up. We were introduced to him last week. He has a whole lot of brothers. He lives in a small village. Three of his brothers are in Saul's army. They're probably the oldest brothers. We think David is still probably young. That's why he's not in the army. So he's 17, maybe 18, 19. But he's at home. And I'll just summarize part of this because it's a really long story. You can read the whole thing uh, when you get home. But um, David is at home. He's back in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is only about 15 miles from the valley of Elah. And his father, Jesse, says to him, you need to go check on your brothers. Take them some food. And this would have been common. Families or family members would bring food to the soldiers in battle. So go check on them. Take your brothers some food. Find out how things are going with the battle against the Philistines. So David shows up in the valley of Elah. And when he gets there, uh, Goliath comes out and gives his daily or morning taunts. And when David hears this, he asks two questions. Here's the first, verse 26, um, or verse 25, I think. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And David is actually told, well, actually Saul has made an offer. If anyone can go out and meet Goliath in the field and face him and, and, and kill Goliath, well, then Saul has all kinds of treasure that he's going to give him. Saul will give his daughter in marriage to the soldier that does it, and Saul's going to give a tax break to the family of the soldier that does that. So Saul's starting to make deals. And if you step back and think about that for a second, Saul the king of the nation, our fearless leader, right? The one who is supposed to be the greatest warrior and lead us into battle is so scared he can't face Goliath that now he's begging and bribing anyone else. Like, I'll give you money, I'll give you my daughter, I'll give you a tax rate, whatever. If somebody will please just go face him. What kind of inspiration do you think that gives to all of the soldiers there, right? What kind of model is that? If the best you have is scared to death and is begging and bribing anyone else to go, right? 
So David hears that and he's like, oh, wow, that's interesting. But he has a second question. And this is the most important one. He says this, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And this is the most important question that David asks because it's a a shift in perspective. You see, David introduces a new perspective on the entire situation that no one else has. Up until this point, Saul and the Israelites have seen Goliath as their problem. This is their obstacle. This is their battle. Goliath is coming against Saul. Goliath is coming against the servants of Saul. Goliath is coming against the armies of Israel. And nobody in the armies of Israel, all the way from Saul, all the way down to the common soldier, can meet this challenge. None of them can face this challenge in battle. But David comes in and he has a totally different perspective, right? Goliath is not Saul's problem. Goliath is not Israel's problem. Goliath is God's problem. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would taunt and defy the armies of the living God? This is the first time God is mentioned in the entire story. Up until this point, nobody has thought about it. Nobody has seen what's happening with that perspective. And that's not to say they stopped believing in God. They did. That's not to say they stopped doing some sacrifices. That's not to say they weren't even praying to God. They probably were praying to God. And yet all they could see was this obstacle in front of them, this challenge in front of them. And for them, it was their problem. And if it's their problem, they had nothing to do about it. And they're paralyzed by fear. But David saw this isn't our problem. This is God's problem. You see, David had such a broader perspective. David knew that Israel was God's people, that that God had redeemed Israel from Egypt hundreds of years before. He had saved them. He had brought them to this land and that they were going to be a unique people and that God was going to reveal himself to the entire world through Israel. And most of the time that would just happen in the everyday ways that the Israelites would live their lives. That as they followed God's laws and they followed God's guidance, people would look to their community and say, wow, that's a community of justice. That's a community of equity. That's a community of compassion. That's a community of wholeness. That's a community where people love their neighbor." And it would be through that that God would would reveal who he was to the entire world. A later prophet of Israel would say, it's like we're going to be a light to all the other nations around us. But sometimes there would be other nations or other communities that would reject God's ways. They would reject Israel. And in this violent time of history in the ancient Near East, they would actually go to battle against one another. And whenever they went to battle, and when the odds were stacked against Israel, it was like a moment that God would use to demonstrate his power, to demonstrate who he was, to demonstrate he was the one true God. Which meant this was an opportunity for God to do something amazing. So David shows up, and this isn't Israel's problem, this isn't Saul's problem, this is where he shows up, and he's like, who is this guy who would defy the armies of the living God. 
See, this is why David can later write in the psalm that we said a few minutes ago. If God is my light, if God is my salvation, if God is my stronghold or my fortress, well then, what do I have to be afraid of? Who is there to fear? It's a totally different perspective. Now, before we read what happens next, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you know who you are? You are his adopted son or daughter. He adopted you and calls you his own. And he loves you the way he loved Israel. You are redeemed, just like Israel was redeemed and saved from Egypt and slavery. You are given a new life, and you are also to be a light to the world. That God wants to work in you and through you, not just in the everyday way you live your life and love your neighbor and show compassion and justice and all those things, but even when the the chips are stacked against you. It's almost as if God is saying, everything that happens in your life is an opportunity for me to reveal myself to all the people in the world around you. And so that even Paul, the apostle, will later write, hey, in all things that happen in your life, you know what? God can work according to what he's up to and his purposes. Another time, Paul will say, hey, even when you're weakest, at your weakest point, God can be the strongest. And Jesus would one day say, if you choose to follow me, it's like you become a a son or a daughter of God and you're placed in his hands and God will never let go of you. You are in his hands. And so anything that comes into your life always passes through his hands first. There's nothing that you will ever face by yourself or alone. There's nothing that will be just your problem. It will always first and foremost be God's problem. You see, if we could face the difficult circumstances in life with that in mind, if we could face something that seems insurmountable, whatever it is, and seems scary, we might pause to say, yeah, I'm scared to death, and I don't know how I'm going to get through this, and I'm not sure what God is even up to in all this, but I'm in his hands, and even when I'm weak, he is strong, And even when I don't understand what's happening, he might be up to something so much bigger that I don't even see. And who is this Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? Now, maybe you're here today or you're listening and you're not a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you're kind of, sort of one. Maybe you're not even sure, right? Maybe, maybe, You're not sure you believe all these stories in the Bible. Maybe it's some of them you like. Maybe all the parts about Jesus you like. Maybe it's Jesus you like. It's just Christians you don't like, right? Or the church. Or or maybe it's organized religion that is the problem. Or maybe it's the stories in the Old Testament. These are the ones that are kind of weird that I'm not sure. Wherever you are, you face the same kind of fears in your life, right? We all have these hidden fears that we carry around that no one else knows. And then sometimes they boil up to the surface and we find ourselves in situations or moments where we're just flat out scared because we just don't know what's going to happen or how we're going to face this thing that's going on. And the best advice that people will often give is, well, here's what you need to do. When you're facing something that scares you or you're not sure how you're going to get through it or what you're going to do about it, you just have to wake up in the morning 
and stare into the mirror and say, I can do it, right? You just have to psych yourself up and, and like just rouse up the courage and almost like pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's just the best way to do this. And hopefully you have people around you that are also telling you the same thing. Like, you can do it, you'll make it, you'll get through it. And I feel like that works about 50% of the time. But even when it works, I feel like I still go to sleep at night telling myself, I don't know that I can do it. I'm not sure I can handle this. I don't know if I can get through this. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. It's out of my control, and that scares me to death. And that's exhausting to keep waking up every morning telling myself, I can do it when I know deep in my heart, I'm not sure I can. And if we can ever come to a place in our lives where we can believe maybe there's a bigger perspective, maybe God is up to something, maybe he does love me, maybe I am in the palm of my hands, it will give us a totally different perspective. And here's the perspective it will give us, and this is the most important thing for all of us to understand today, and it's this. Your greatest fear is God's greatest opportunity. Your greatest fear, whatever it is in your life right now, the thing that scares you the most That's God's greatest opportunity. That's his best opportunity to work in your life. It's his best opportunity for you to experience what he's really like and who he is. It's his best opportunity to work in you and through you and around you to reveal himself to other people in your life. Your greatest fear, whatever it is, is God's greatest opportunity. And David understood that. And David knew that. And so he shows up on a battlefield full of Israelites with fear. And it's almost like, this is an opportunity for God to do something amazing. And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt and defy the armies of the living God? Look at what happens next. Verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, he's talking about himself, will go and fight him. So Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. So there's a huge reputation about who Goliath is. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Like, what? What does that have to do with it? He goes on. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of Of this Philistine. You see, David is able to draw on what God has done in the past, which is so hard when you're scared. Whenever we're in moments of fear, we are locked in into the present and into the very thing that's right in front of us that's causing so much fear. It's like that's all we can see. That's all that's consuming our thoughts and emotions. And David's able to step back and say, wait a second. I've been in tough situations before. I've been in scary situations before. And God was there. He was with me. He was my light and salvation. So what do I have to fear right now? 
Saul says, okay, and he gives his armor to David. He says, well, why don't you at least take my armor? David tries it on. He's like, this doesn't fit. It's not working. I'm just going to go with what I got. And look at what happens next. Verse 40. So then he took his staff, like little shepherd staff, in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. So he's still wearing his fanny pack. Right, going into battle, his little shepherd's bag, he puts these stones in, he's got his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine looked David over, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the bird's and the wild animals. And then David decides to share his perspective with Goliath. A perspective that every single one of us needs to have whenever we're facing something that feels insurmountable. This is what he says. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. He goes on, this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, there's a whole lot of battle rhetoric in there, right? But here's what David's basically saying. Look, you're not my problem. You're not Saul's problem. You're not Israel's problem. This is not my battle. This is God's battle. You haven't just taunted me. You have taunted the Lord himself. And yeah, I... I, I don't know how this is all going to work out, so I'm just going to grab my staff and some stones. and I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to throw myself into the situation. But the battle is God's. And I'm going to trust him with it. Because I'm in his hands. And he's on my side. And he's with me. And he's my light and my salvation and my fortress. And if that's true, then what do I have to fear. And we know how the story ends, right? David takes off running across the valley. I mean, he's not walking. He's literally running towards Goliath. He grabs one of the stones and he slings it. And it lands in the one place in Goliath's head where he doesn't have any armor and it knocks him out. He falls to the ground. And David runs over and he grabs a sword and he cuts Goliath's head off. And the rest of the Israelites rally around David and they go into battle and they're victorious against the Philistines. (laughs) And we're told later that all the nations around 
and all the people around tremble because of what Israel's God has done for them. Here's the bottom line today for every single one of us. Your greatest fear is God's greatest opportunity. Whatever it is in your life right now, it's God's greatest opportunity. And so I want to pause just for a second before we wrap things up. And I want to ask you, what is your greatest fear right now? Uh, Maybe there's a situation at school that's tough. Maybe there's a situation in your workplace that's difficult. And you kind of dread going every morning because you're just scared and you don't know how it's going to turn out. Maybe there's something in your life that you've kept hidden from everyone else and you're scared to death that people will find out. Uh, Maybe there's a specific conversation you need to have with somebody and you've been avoiding it for a long time because you're just scared. Maybe there's a person you've been avoiding for a long time because you're scared. Maybe it's the possibility of, well, what if I lose him? Or what if I lose her? Or what if I never find him? What if I never find her? What if my life doesn't turn out the way I've always envisioned it would? Because I have this perfect script in this way, and this is what's going to happen, and this is the job I'm going to have, this is the money I'm going to make, and this is who I'm going to meet, and this is like, like, what if the perfect script for my life, what if it doesn't go according to my plan? That scares you to death. Whatever fear it is right now that's in your life that you're most afraid of, that's God's greatest opportunity. That's where he can work the most. That's where he wants to show up the most. That's where you can experience him the most. If you can embrace this perspective. If you can put yourself in his hands and say, yeah, this is where you can show up. And that doesn't mean all the fears are going to go away instantly. Like fear is a normal emotion. We're always going to have fear. That's normal to have that. But you don't have to be slave to your fear. You don't have to be conquered by your fear. You don't have to be paralyzed by fear. If you can begin to realize, and if I can begin to realize, my greatest fear, your greatest fear, is God's greatest opportunity. Let me pray for us. God, I pray right now that you would bring to our minds and our hearts whatever that place is that brings us fear. And you would help us to acknowledge it or admit it. And and even doing that act is scary. (laughs) To admit something scares us. We, we don't want to hand that over to anyone else. It's like we want to just keep carrying it, thinking we can make it work. And God, we know how exhausting and tiring and defeating that is. And so today, I just pray that you would give us the courage we need to look into those places where we're scared and begin to have the perspective that you have and welcome you to work in the ways that you want to work in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.